You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Rua Space Podcast, where we help you make space for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in your everyday life. I'm Phil, and today I'm really honored to be joined by Father Nicholas Amato, the author of the book Happiness and Joy. Father Nicholas has been a priest in the Archdiocese of Baltimore for 50 years, but in the last decade has focused more on being a writer, a retreat director, and a spiritual director. And friends, that shows up in this book, Happiness and Joy. Two very important concepts, uh, but especially that joy part of it, for me at least, because joy is this experience of connection to God and others and ourselves that goes to a deeper place within us. And in his book and in this conversation, he gives us really practical steps of ways that we can make space not to earn joy, not to try and convince God to give us joy, because of course joy is a gift of God, but real steps that can dispose us, that can help make us more open to receiving this gift from God. So we go a lot of different directions in this discussion, including talking about contemplative practices, which you know that here at Rua Space, we love contemplative practices, but then going even one step further and talking about contemplative action that flows from that space that is created, that space where God can take us to the deeper sense of who we are in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to action in the world, that prayer ultimately uh, works through us and out of us, God doing it, of course, but to go out and serve in the world. So joy doesn't end with us, friends, but we become a conduit for it into the world. But I don't want to give everything away. Suffice to say, I think it was a really fun conversation. I know you'll be blessed, challenged, and encouraged, and walk away with some really practical things you can do to grow in your faith and make space to connect with joy. So friends, here is my conversation with Father Nicholas Amato. Father Nicholas, welcome to the Rua Space Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Well, it's great to be here with you, and I look forward to our time together, Phil. I really enjoyed your book, Happiness and Joy. I think this is a key conversation for our world today. And I know the book of joy came out, the Dalai Lama and uh, um, Desmond Tutu, I believe. And, and I really enjoyed that. And you brought some really cool new stuff to this conversation of um of joy, of, of growing in joy and what happiness is. So can you kind of introduce us just to how this topic came to bear on your life? Why happiness and joy? Well, uh, what I realized was that there were times I could say I was happy and name them. And there were times I could say that were really joyful and name them. And what I started to realize was that the times were not the same kinds of things that's the experiences themselves. And I started to wonder, what's the, what are the denotations? What's, what's the feel of joy versus the feel of happiness? And I, I came to realize from my own experience uh, and later doing this in retreat formats with other people uh, leading retreats, um, I realized that, that joy is, is, has a different taste, a different feel. Happiness kind of relates to holding something or achieving something or getting something. And it's always about something, 
where joy is more about someone and it's relational and it's it's got to do with interaction and it's got to do with gerunds and actions and participles. It's not, it's not a noun. <laughs> um, so that was the first thing. And I started to delve deeper into this and read some of the mystics. And I started to see, well, gosh, they're talking about the same thing. So, so what I came down to was just a very summative way. Happiness, as long as you got the thing or you achieve the thing, you're happy. But then uh, no sooner do you get it that you want to go on to something else. <laughs> and it's like, what, what happened to the happiness from there? And now what do I need? Why, why is this having the need to get happier? <laughs> Where joy was more of a resting in. It's kind of uh, happiness was, for example, preparing my article for uh, a magazine. But joy, I think, is a parent looking at their sleeping child. So you can immediately see there's a whole relationship thing that, 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 that flavors it. So th th that was the beginning of it. So, so what's the problem then with people just saying, well, I'm just going to seek all those temporary happiness things and um, why make the distinction? I'm just going to go for what makes me happy. Well... That's fine. The only thing is you're going to run out of things and you go, or you're going to run out of money <laughs> or you're going to run out, of, run out of time or you're going to run out of health or you're going to run out of relationships. And suddenly it's all sanded through your hands. And it's, you know, Peggy Lee singing, is that all there is? You know, you're going to be standing in ashes and uh, never having reached something that fully satisfies. So there's not that fullness, Phil, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. Well, I think we're probably learning that in our world right now, you know, that we don't control very much, right? Like we have this pandemic and it's, it's almost as if even if you had all the money and all the time, well, man, all of a sudden the world shuts down and happiness becomes a little more difficult, right? Or you get that health bill you can't pay for or that person dies or whatever it is. You know, there's one thing you pointed out in, in the book that joy can share its space with other emotions like sadness, shame, or anger, whereas happiness cannot. Can you go a little deeper for exactly. us with that? Well, I'd love to. <laughs> I mean, I think that's one of the stellar characteristics that distinguishes the two. Uh, happiness <clears throat> does not last and it's dependent upon an object. Joy is relational, and it depends on, uh, it, it's, it's not a function of health or money or, or pain or situation or anything. So, so you can be joyful uh, even as you're facing hospice care. I mean, uh, in just seeing people who, who are actively dying and the joy that they mm -hmm. experience as they come to this. Well, you talk about the power of an emotion wow, that, now, that's something I want to go to. And the other thing is, is that as you taste and experience joy, uh, there's, there, it just opens you up to more. It just opens you up to more. So, it, so it's, it's not dependent on anything. It's like a free. And I, I tell you, if, if, if the market could capture this and sell it, they would. <laughs> uh, but they can't. <laughs> it's very true. Well, maybe a helpful thing for people listening already before we go too much further is maybe to make the distinguishment between um, 
knowing when I'm happy or when I'm experiencing joy. I think we all know the feeling of happiness, right? I, I get the new job. I, um, my team wins the Super Bowl, whatever it might be. How do you sort of distinguish then what a feeling of joy is? And not to say that they have to happen in separate instances, but how, do, how, do, how would you sort of invite people to say, this is more what it is to experience or live in joy? Well, I, I would give you a, a simple, uh, what, a simple um, uh, exercise. I'd say, I'm going to give you 10 minutes and you have to come up with, with 50 things that make you happy. Go. <laughs> and, you know, and, and you got to get five minutes left, four, three. And so that they're, they're brainstorming. It doesn't have any, it could be anything. So now they've got their 50 items, 10 minutes. And they say, uh, I say, I ask them, Put them now in a chronological order from the most happy or the greatest things to the least things. So they start to number those. Then I ask, then I'll give them the distinction between happiness and joy. And I'll say, uh, of the things you mentioned, I want you to circle the numbers that are, the, that are really issues, items of happiness versus the ones that are uh, joy. So circle happiness items. And the difference is this, happiness is something that you achieve, atta attain, or, or have in your hands. Joy is relational, it's deeper. It, you don't have to be sad, you can be sad and still feel joy. So once they've got the, so first I'm pushing them for an experience that they don't know where it's gonna lead. Secondly, I give them some information on how to distinguish the two. Third, they start to separate out and I say, okay, now let's look at those. Uh, which do you prefer? Which do you want to live by? Which do you want to go deeper with? Which, what, what's the ultimate cause for your existence? What do you want to commit your life to? So now you're asking big questions and now they're ready to say, Nicholas, show me how to do this. I want to get more of these and few, I don't need those as much. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So what, what would you say when they say, I, I want to get this? What, what's kind of your next step? Well, my next step would be to look at the things they've circled that bring them joy. And I'd ask, are they things that involve themselves alone, like solitude, contemplative prayer, um, uh, painting, uh, artwork, uh, listening to music, or are they relational? Um, do they involve people, people in their environment, people at their work, people are the encounters happenstance? Because now what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to be a coach and I'm saying, here's what we can maximize because you already do these things. Or for example, are they things that are service? Do you, are you, do you help out in a food line? Do you, you work in a pantry? Do you volunteer at church? Do you... So I, I kind of see what their natural propensity is for their joyful events. And then I would say, well, let's do more of those. So now we're, now we're kind of in workshop mode, or I'd say, which of the ones would, would kind of the, the things you do least? Well, maybe service projects. Well, maybe you need to look at service projects because maybe that's where God is drawing you right now in this conversation. And if God is the source of all joy and living in Jesus Christ is the source of joy, you, why not try these? And then I'd kind of push him to, you know, you have to see, whether they like being pushed or not either, you know, <laughs> if they like the challenge or not. I think you hit on something right there at the end that is probably the underlying thread. And you said that that ultimate joy is found 
in God, right? I think there's a, at one point you say the joy we crave is never in our power for it is God's work. So there's something right. deeper about it in connecting us to God then. It is, it is. And, and, and that's the uh, kind of title of the uh, first book of the series that I wrote in 2016, uh, Living in God, colon, Contemplative Prayer and Contemplative Action. That if you're going to live in God and you want your life to be in God, you've got to have some solitude. You've got to have some anchoring in a relationship that, in a relationship that is deeper than just yourself, that is deeper than your ego self. Not that the ego self is bad, it's just not enough. <laughs> and so, so uh, many of your listeners may be contemplatives or, or do contemplative practice, so they know what that anchoring is like. So uh, I'm committed to a half hour every morning and a half hour every evening. And without that, I, I lack grounding, but it's not enough to just be grounded in the presence. You gotta come out of that contemplative prayer into contemplative action. And so that first book of the series talks about how do you do that? Uh, because your, your contemplative presence isn't for you. It's for you to be an instrument in God's hands for God to be with others. Yeah, I, I really so, like that focus on that contemplative action piece because um, let, I think there's two parts here. So we started with that that contemplative prayer, that contemplative practice, right? The ego, the uh, the Descartes. I think, therefore, I am. So I am a brain on a stick, right? It is all about my thoughts. And one thing that I know that many Christians today um, get very scared of is, well, I don't want to empty my mind because that's quote unquote Eastern. So that's not what I do in prayer or meditation. Um, can you talk about, you know, in your book, and this is, I, I highly recommend this because you really do a great sort of step-by-step -step practical leading of people into a space of resting mind and body. But rather than saying, ooh, don't empty our mind, why in, in the practices I was reading it with, with you in your book, we really sort of want to get past those thoughts. So why would you say that is actually a vital component of what we're doing? Okay, great question. There are two main schools of objection to contemplative practice. One is it's Eastern, or it's New Age, or, or, and here's the second one, that it allows the devil to get in. And... So let me t say something about each of those. If the caution is it's too Eastern, we have to make a distinction. In, in Western prayer modes, we have verbal vocal prayer, we have meditation, and we have contemplation. The first, there is lots of thinking and lots of speaking. The second, meditation, there's thinking but no speaking, and the thinking is my creative imagination. So I see Jesus at the well. I'm the Samaritan woman. What's he saying to me? What are my thirst? What am I hungering for? Give me some of this water, Jesus, that kind of thing. And then I live off of that. That's deeper than saying, our Father, what in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Okay? Not that it's not important. The other's not important. It's just a deeper sense of prayerfulness. Contemplation, you kind of try to get your thinking mind out of the way and go to a deeper sense of who you are. So, so that's kind of what you're trying to do. So in the West, we have verbal, vocal, meditation, contemplation. 
in the East, when they say meditation, they mean what we mean by contemplation. <laughs> they mean emptying the mind. Now, here's the difference, big difference. Their emptying of the mind is into nothingness, into non-being. Our emptying of the mind is getting ourselves out of the way to be in relationship with God's grace, God's very presence. Mm. So that's that's the distinction. Now, on, on the other issue of if I do this, and you find a lot of Catholics uh, with this fear that if I do this, the devil's going to get in. Protestants well, here's too. <laughs> the thing. Protestants too. Well, here's the thing. The devil can't get in without you consenting to having the devil come in. The devil can only tempt. And you know what a temptation is. And you know you can say, no. <laughs> so the, the devil will never uh, take over without your consent. So the question is this. When I'm in relationship, oh, excuse me, when I'm trying to get rid of my ego self, my thinking mind, I'm trying to enter a deeper presence, a deeper sense of who I am. And that amness is in Christ Jesus. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like Moses in the burning bush. Uh, you know, Moses wants God's name so that he can verbally, you know, relate to him. And God says, no, no, no. I am who am. I am a gerund. I am a participle. I am an action verb. I'm aiming. I'm being. So we need to get to that to feel the holy place that Moses felt. And, and so it's, it's, it, contemplative practice is not hypnotism. It's not the devil getting in. You, you just have to know your intention is to be with God. So God's going to protect you. And even if the devil slips by the protection, you have to consent. Mm -hmm. And you can always come out of contemplative prayer. So, so on both fronts, there's, there's little concern. So people might right now be saying, whoa, we started off talking about happiness and joy. Now we're talking about contemplative prayer and practice, but they are tied together. So, so can you draw them together, how this contemplative practice, and again, you know, I, I, I'll say it again. I recommend people go get the book. We don't want to lay everything out here, but the, the breathing, the sacred word, you know, people know centering prayer, these types of things. How does that connect us to joy? Okay, let me give you a couple images. The, the cover of the book, uh, and this was the artist at the, the publishing company. Uh, the artist said, let's look, because he, he talked to me about the book and we had a, several consultations. He gave me eight views. Uh, I had to choose the, the top three. Publisher makes the choice. So, so here's the choice. We've got the stillness of the ocean and then we've got the breaking of the surf. And the stillness of the ocean is joy. The breaking of the surf is happiness. The surf comes and goes, the ocean perdures. It remains, it stays. And, uh, you know, as Teresa of Avila would say, you know, you even go deeper into the ocean into complete silence. There you have the greatest joy. So, so the image is good. And um, I gave them another image that they didn't like. <laughs> and it was a glass of water, a glass of sparkling water. And I said, you know, in a glass of spark carbonated water, you've got still water and bubbles. The bubbles are, are uh, CO2, two atoms of oxygen. The still water is H2O, one 
uh, atom of oxygen. So in the bubbles, you've got twice as much oxygen. You've got vitality, you've got, that's happiness. The bubbles are happiness. They come and go. The still water is really joy. So the question is, you don't wanna be living in a bubbling life. You don't wanna live in a surf all the time. You want to taste the stillness, the, the H2O. It's only half the atom of oxygen, but it's deeper, it's still, and it can be always present. Happiness can't always be present. Joy can. So having said that, the question now is, how do we get to stillness? How do we get to the stillness of the ocean going deeper, deeper, deeper? How do we get to the water that is still water? <laughs> and that's, that takes contemplation. And that's how you connect the two. So if you want to go deeper in joy, you've got to have some contemplative practice where you rest in, nest in, float in, uh, glory in. You know, it, it's, it's, it's Jesus. It's all about relationships. You know, Jesus didn't do a whole lot of teaching about beliefs, Jewish beliefs. He said, come with me, walk with me, follow me, I'll feed you. Come, you know, it's always about relationships. And that relationship for joy is one of cont contemplation. Yeah, it connects kind of us, the yeah, it connects us to the source, right? As you were talking, you know, you mentioned St. Teresa of Avila. And in the interior castle, she talks about these two troughs, right? The one where you build the aqueduct to bring the water and the other is sort of the spring that wells up from within. And so I, I, I love that image because I think what you're saying is we have to go to that internal well of, you know, we know in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in us, right? To that deeper place beyond just what my mind tells me to experiencing God where God can sort of build that joy and that peace in us. Exactly. And, you know, she, she talks about, she actually goes through four kinds of ways to water a garden. One is the aqueduct where you don't do anything. The water just comes down, but you have to build the aqueduct. That's <laughs> yeah. a lot of work. Just ask the Romans. I mean, they'll tell you how much work it was. So that's the first way. The other way is you go to the stream and get water and run to the garden. That's a lot of work. I mean, you, you try carrying a bucket of water from a stream to a garden and the, the other one is you build trenches from the stream, so, but you got to build the trenches. The fourth way is the rain, mm. the rain. And there you do nothing except luxuriate in God's production of the water. And, you know, when you're in contemplative prayer, and that's contemplative prayer, and sometimes it, it's raining and sometimes it's not. But even the flowering bush on a dry day and I'm saying you can have a dry day in contemplative prayer. You are still luxuriant. You are still flowering because your roots are deep. So it doesn't have to rain every day. You don't have to feel the presence every day. But if you make an effort to, for, a, to, for, a, uh, for a contemplative practice, you will flower. You will flower. Well, and that's because it's, it's, not earning something, right? We're not giving a mathematical formula. If you spend so many minutes in silence every day, X, Y, or Z will happen, but it's disposing ourselves to receive the gift. Amen. Nor are you meriting it. I mean, a lot of Christians are big in this. You know, if I do this, God will do that. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, uh. It's relationship. And God's love is, is so full you can never, it, can, it reaches the ends of the earth. I mean, it's like, 
you just have to receive it. So that takes us to then contemplative practice. Now, most people who are contemplative don't want to say they're contemplative because they don't mind saying I pray. They don't mind saying I meditate, but they, they very much don't want to say I'm a contemplative because it's not your work. It's God's work. And, 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 and so there's this aversion to saying I'm a contemplative. So that's why a lot of contemplatives simply say I, have, I do contemplative practice. And so, for, and you want to get into this, I'm happy to do this. There's a way to get into the stillness. There's a way to get in the ocean. There's a way to get into H2O. And, and that is by, by uh, calming the self-ego. So I know who I am. I'm a Catholic priest. I have these responsibilities. I'm talking to you. I've got to have prepared lunch. I'm going out to people with dinner. So I've got relationships, but those things don't help me to, to rest, to abide in Jesus Christ. They don't help me in the moment in, for contemplative practice. What I need to do is I need to deal with the two things that constitute my ego self. So my ego self, who I am and who, are you, who you are, Phil, uh, is constituted by your mind and your body. So you wake up tomorrow, your body carries you through the night of a, a subconsciousness and dreams, and you wake up and you know who you are again. And the same thing. So the body needs to be addressed and the mind needs to be addressed. I say the body needs to be relaxed. The mind needs, needs to be calmed. How? So if we can do that, calm, uh, relax the body and calm the mind, we can get past ego self to deeper self. So that's why in the book I go through, uh, and actually the first book of the series does that very well, uh, Living in God. It's got to do with breathing to complete relaxation. And if you're breathing and, and you're at a number 10 relaxation, you want to go to maybe a four, where one is complete relaxation. And then once the body is relaxed, then you introduce call it a mantra, call it a sacred word, call it whatever, but it can't be more than four syllables and you need to synchronize it to your breathing. So now you've got your mind, you've got your body relaxed and your mind is calmed. You're in the perfect place to let your ego self slide aside and to enter the abyss, enter the arms of God, enter Jesus's word, abide, rest in, and that's how you get there. So it's not a mystery, but the presence of God to you is a mystery. Right there, as you were talking, you know, that mystery part is so key because um, I would like to ask, hey, tell us, you know, what that's like, or I'd like to explain what that space is like for me. But that sort of getting beyond ego, calm mind, it's very hard to tell someone, oh, here's how now where you know it's at. It's an experience, right? We have to just go and do it. Exactly. Exactly. You can't. It, it's it's a it's a relationship of vulnerability, openness, and love, and you cannot put it in words. It's it's the girl, the first girl you ever dated, and you just could look in her eyes and just die. <laughs> but it's the two old people on a porch rocking back and forth. Mm. Words lie. Words don't do it. But but it is an experience of yourself in God. And it's a deeper sense of self. The minute, Phil, the minute you say, 
this is great, you've lost it because <laughs> you're thinking, this is great. The minute you say, wow, wow, you're gone because it's awareness. It's not thinking. Mm. It's awareness. And you cannot will awareness. You cannot will. Like you can't say, okay, one, two, three, let's be aware. You can't do that. You got to relax the, relax the body and quiet the mind. The ego self slides aside and you rest in God. Now, when you come out of that, so when I'm done 30 minutes of that, I immediately do two things. I recall the word or words that were my, a symbol of my intention to be with God. And then I think of how does that, how did that five minutes or half hour or 10 minutes, how, did, how will that make a difference today for me? Mm-hmm. So now I'm, 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 I'm changing my uh, contemplative prayer into contemplative action. So for example, if my word was, I love you, Lord, four syllables, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, or be here now, or here I am, or take me, or I'm yours, whatever. So when you come out, you reflect on two things, your word that your words going in, and a word that describes the experience. So if the experience was light, then I'm going to try to do something with light with maybe the first person I meet today. If I, some, if I know somebody who's in darkness, I'm going to be their light with an email or a text mm. or a phone call. And here's, here's the kicker. When I'm doing that, it's not me doing it. It's God's presence gracing me uh, what uh, what energizing me and through me god is being present and that's a that's a tremendous thing you become an instrument in god's hands i think that's a key movement that second piece of that going out into action because again i think there's this bad rap of oh, if I spend time in silence or solitude or this type of prayer, it's all about me. It's about building myself up. It's just me separating. But that the more we connect with that center of our being and the fact that it's in God that what Acts 17, right? We live, move, and have our being. God then moves us out into the world. So it's actually, if we're going to be agents of reconciliation, as Paul invites in 2 Corinthians, this seems to be not just a nice thing we do, but a vital component of that component happening. Right. Contemplative prayer can become navel gazing and an ego trip. And here, here's the thing. I, I always encourage people uh, in spiritual direction that I do. I encourage people to um, that, that, that the words they choose, no more than four syllables, so that you can synchronize it to your breathing in and your breathing out. doesn't have to be sacred word like Jesus or Abba. It could be whatever. But here's the kicker. It has to be a symbol of your intention to be with God and to live out of that presence. Mm-hmm. And there's the connection. But your prayer is to be with God and then be empowered by that presence to live out of that for others. And that's why the two commandments, love God and love others, is all, that's, that's it. 
So good. It's so good. You know, I, you have this, I think there's another line you wrote, prayer as a gift is to be given to others in concrete actions. I mean, I, I would just like to post that <laughs> like on, on my wall, on my car, like the, 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 they, they, you know, sort of the, like the Trinity mutual indwelling, this, this seems to be that mutual indwelling of prayer is a gift we give in concrete actions, but it's a gift we're receiving from God flowing through us. So it all circles, right. it dances. And so, the, so, so you, as in, you become instrument of grace, you become the reed, you become the flute. You're not the air, you're the flute. You know? mm. God's the air. You get to play the tune, but you're not the air. And, and so, um, I mean, it's extraordinary. I, I do a thing called WOW1, W-O-W dash one. And, and um, what it means is, uh, WOW for me stands for uh, wish one well. One. And what that means, so, so years ago, I started uh, wishing one well every day. I just pick out somebody to wish well. And what that does is it, it, it immediately relates you to the other person and the person feels that you've said something nice about them. You're not, you're not just blowing smoke. You mean it. So, so, you know, I say to somebody, to, to a woman, I say, you know, that's really a beautiful scarf. Oh, well, thank you very much. Now, here's the other thing. When you wow one and you start to get that kind of feedback and it's, it's sincere and honest, you start to see that it creates a little bit of a relationship, whether it's at the cash register, whether it's on the street, whether it's in the hall. And, and so you start to want to do it again. Hmm. And, and now I do it. I don't do it one a day. I'm doing it all the time. I mean, it's become like my, it's, it's my format for living. And here's the other thing, rather than just wow one, uh, tell the, can, you not only connect with the person, but then add something about what that person does for you, for example. So yesterday, a, la a lady had a, you know, a blouse on and she had this very, you know, women tie these scarves in all kinds of ways. And, and men don't have that creative capacity. <laughs> So we wear a shirt if I, I don't want to wear the same shirt the next day, but a woman just puts a different scarf on. So I, I was just saying to her, I said, I love this scarf. And, you know, it, um, I, wish we, I wish guys had something like that. So she immediately takes off her scarf. She puts it around me and she ties it in three different ways. <laughs> so, so my wild one now became a relationship and she's responding because I showed her what, her, what, what this thing has to do for me. So now she's, I've added value to her scarf, to use that example. And that just happened yesterday. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and I mean, the world is full of it. You can just do this yourself. So that's one way to bring more joy into your life. Yeah, you know, those little practices, I think, are key. Sometimes we... Um, we look for these big things to do to change our whole lives. As if, again, going back to the formula of... If there's one or thing, one or two things I can do to fix it all or to cultivate this, I'll do that. But it actually seems it's the daily repetitive practices of small things that are what shape sort of the ethos of our life to be one of joy. Yeah. Well, I, I in, the, in the book, uh, I think it's this book. I have a chapter on joy jolts. Mm -hmm. That is, when you're feeling down and you want a joy jolt, just have many at the ready. For example, 
your joy jolt will be would be to see your child sleeping and, and the joy that brings you. Or, 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 or photographs, old photographs of grandparents who've gone on before us on a wall. That's why we put frames around them. That's why we, we do these things. Um, I, uh, I, there are all kinds of things. Uh, for me, uh, because I'm a bit of a neat Nick, I love things organized. So I organize the refrigerator. I mean, I organize everything. And sometimes just opening the pantry and saying, wow, that looks good is enough. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, the other thing is this, uh, a joy jolt. I was in, uh, I had a, a retreat in Orlando. So I'm flying from Baltimore to Orlando. I'm in the airport. I always get to the airport at least two hours before, always. And then I sit and do work and laptop. So I happen to be at the gate, it's eight o'clock in the morning, I fall asleep. All of a sudden I wake up and I hear boarding for Albany, New York. And I'm going, what? Where's Orlando, Florida? <laughs> oh, that, that flight left a half hour ago. Oh. I slept through the call. Oh no. So I had to be in Orlando by noon and I, there were no planes, you know, there were no flights and I was had to be on standby. and. So I needed a George old. So immediately, rather than killing myself or doing something strange, uh, I, there's a George old when you're in a panic situation that says, do not judge. This will pass. Minimize harm. Mm. Those three things. And what they mean is do not judge. I'm not stupid. I'm not a jerk because I did this. Do not judge. And you have to keep saying, do not judge, do not judge, do not judge. And you have to do it about 20 to 30 times until it clicks that you're not going to judge. The second thing is, is this will pass. This will pass. This will pass. And kind of get in touch with all your feelings of anger and disgust and loathing and embarrassment and blah, 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 and keep repeating that. And then minimize harm. You know, don't go buy that hot fudge sundae. Don't eat those donuts. Don't, you know, minimize harm. And so, this jolting yourself out of a stressful situation is a good way to do that. And by the way, this isn't my theory. This is a, a Dr. Laurel Mellon is her name. She's a, she's a psychologist in uh, Kentucky, but she's very good. And the, these joy jolts are things you can have at the ready. And I'll just give you another set. I have in my prayer space, I have about 20 um, scripture verses preceded by an emotion before each one. Mm -hmm. So that rather than try to find something to answer my darkness or my, my loathing or whatever it is, I've got whatever I'm feeling, I've got the phrase, I've got the scripture. So That's what good. it does is it starts in my experience and end, ends in God's God support. Does that make sense? That's a good, yeah, no, I think that's, that's a key one that, um, people would be good to practice and to, to try that out. You know, one, one other thing that I find myself constantly asking people and coming up as sort of a thread as we're talking about joy and peace, even justice, you know, our prayer life is the role of gratitude. It seems to be a common thread through all of it, no matter who I'm talking to, or, or now it's even becoming whatever the topic is. So for a couple minutes, can you sort of bring gratitude into, into play here? Sure. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, Ignatian examine. Yeah. You know what that is? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I, I, teach, I teach that and I do retreats on that. But gratitude is the first thing that you concentrate on. And what it is, is 
there's something that's magical about gratitude that starts in the head and goes into the heart and into the emotions. So what I do uh, very often is encourage people to get a little notebook and put it by your bedside and either do it at night or do it in the morning and put three things down that you're grateful for. And here's the key. You cannot repeat any of the things you're writing down. So you can only use breathing once. <laughs> your spouse once, each child once. And what you're going to do, what you find is that even after seven days, because now you've got seven days of, you know, three times seven, 21, you've got 21 gratitude things, nothing's repeated. What you're starting to do is you're starting to think of smaller and smaller things to be grateful for because you, you it, the big ones are gone. Mm -hmm. And so what that does is it helps you be greater. It helps you be grateful for more and smaller things. First thing. The second effect is that you start to be grateful in the moment rather than just in the recollection. So in other words, right now I'm, I'm uh, tonight, I'll, oh no, I'm, I'm going to have lunch with a friend. I'm going to say, this Phil guy was really great. We had a great time, good conversation. <laughs> but, but that's a memory of what we were doing that I'm being grateful for. I'd rather just look at you now and say, wow, this is great. I love this because it's more relational, it's active, it's in the moment, and it has a richer texture, it has a greater feel. So those are the two gifts that gratitude bring you. And it's almost magical the way it works. And like you said before, I love, I was a middle school teacher in the Washington DC public schools. And um, you know, it's all about 75% motivation, 25% content. But so if you can give people ways of doing things and, 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 and touch soft spots that quicken them, you've given them something, you know, that's, that's very important. Yeah, it seems to so come, yeah, you know, and I think what's common to them is when you practice them with intentionality, whether it's three, three points of gratitude in the morning and or at night, or a 20 or 30 minute sit in silence and contemplation, whatever happens during that time, the more consistent we are with it, the more it seems to, as you said, magically, or, or I would say by God's grace, we would say, right, it starts to come out in other times when we don't expect it or when it can be a blessing. So we have to cultivate it and then it becomes a part of us. Right. It becomes a practice and it becomes a habit. Uh, I think there are things to help you with the habit. So I have a prayer space at my home. So I have an icon I have a pair of rosary beads. I have a Bible in Spanish. I have a, uh, I have a candle. I have a scented candle. And I always light the, as soon as I get up, I light the candle. Because for me, olfactory smells help. So uh, I've got my spiritual reading book opened. Uh, so, so by the time I come back from the bathroom, I'm, I'm smelling and feeling good. And I got, you know, there's the mood. And it's kind of saying, come on, Nicholas, come on. I'm right over here. I got the book open. So it, it's, it's, not a, it's not a thing, oh, my God, I got to pray again. It's, mm -hmm. wow, I can't wait. I'm, I'm ready to go. But so, so I think it's important for your listeners. You got to have a place and you got to have a time. And people who have children and there's a lot of busyness in the house, maybe get up 15 minutes earlier when no one is up. Put on a coffee and take a cup of brewing coffee into your space. 
but go into your space. And that, that's a big help. And it helps the practice until it becomes a habit. It's going to be, it takes practice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just to honor this space and our time, I'm going to ask you one more, well, two more things. Uh, the first thing is going to be, what would be a final word of challenge or wisdom or encouragement that you would offer in light of our time today? Um. Hmm. I would say that that God, God, God's creative love for us is responsible for our being here and who we are. And to secure that love and that relationship, the God who sends us forth from that birth canal wants us to come back, but wants us to come back of our own free will, because a love that is forced is not a love at all. So they, you know, they say a bad kiss is worse than no kiss, you know, that kind of thing. So, <laughs> so, uh, so the question is, well, what is, how, how does God maximize our coming back? And how God maximizes that is by putting in us an appetite that only God can satisfy. So while we have an appetite for thirst, uh, an appetite for water, uh, the appetite is thirst that gets us to water, hunger that gets us to food, fatigue that gets us to sleep, and so on. God has in us a hunger, a longing for something more that nothing else can fill. That's, that's what I'd say, that nothing else can fill. And, um, and so you have to honor that longing because that's, <laughs> that's not even your longing. It's God in you longing for God's completion. So, uh, you know, sorry. Uh, not even about you it's about a love it's about a love combination so so as you go out and go into the world the world knows that you have this longing advertisers know you have this longing the market knows you have this longing so what the market does and I, no offense to the market or to advertisers but they know about this longing and they produce things that will make you happy but not give you joy and so they produce things that um, don't quite satisfy or wear out <laughs> or rust or fall apart <laughs> or lose their luster. And so um, what's interesting is, is they, 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 they market them with these words like new and improved. Well, how can something be new and improved at the same time? It's either new or it's just improved. <laughs> or, 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 you know, they, they use words like, transform. They use words like um, heavens, heavenly, heavenly scented. I mean, they use spiritual words, but they're precisely trying to give you a spiritual object and they can't. So that's kind of what my word to your listeners would be. Honor mm -hmm. the longing, know what fills it, what makes you happy, but only what, but know also what gives you joy. And that is being anchored in God and, and living out of that relationship. Amen to that. So if people would like to go deeper, what's that? I, when seniors always say after they share their heart, they say, and I have spoken. And that <laughs> means they're done. <laughs> it reminds me of, I don't know if you've seen the, if you've seen the Mandalorian, the one character who just says, I have spoken. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, 
What was your question? I'm sorry. Yeah. Where, where can people, if they'd like to go deeper, where can they find this book, Happiness and Joy? And where can they find your other work in books? Where can they connect with you? Okay. They can, several things. They can uh, go to Amazon and uh, just Google my name, Nicholas Amato, A-M-A-T-O, or Father Nicholas Amato, and they'll get, they'll get everything. So I do have Facebook. Um, I'm a, I, I'm a uh, parishioner and a celebrant at uh, Church of the Nativity, and that's a wild, wild, uh, uh, what do you call it, web page. And to go there, just go churchnativity, one word, dot com, churchnativity.com. Uh, so you can see me there. I, I do uh, online retreats. I've got one coming up, uh, one next weekend for women. Uh, and, to, and, you know, just go to churchnativity.com and you'll get all the retreats I do. I got all men, co-ed, and it's on um, Ignatian Discernment of Spirits. And it's called Breakthrough, colon, uh, Where is God Calling Me? Or Discerning Where God is Calling Me. Uh, so that's that. Uh, also, uh, I've got them on Facebook, just Father Nicholas Amato. Um, and uh, you can reach me there and, uh, you know, respond to me. My, my, my phone number is 443-850-0794. Once again, 443-850-0794. So I welcome conversations of all kinds. Look, a phone number, friends. There you go. So, well, thank you. That doesn't come often. (laughs) Hey, we we appreciate that. And hey, I I loved our conversation. Thank you so much. It was an honor and a blessing. Again, I do highly recommend this book. Very practical and can lead you into happiness and joy. So thank you for the book and for your time today. Thank you for being, uh, having me on and God bless you, your wife and your children. Friends, Phil here again. Before you go, I just want to say thank you for joining us for this conversation. I do highly recommend you go and check out Father Nicholas's new book. And I do highly recommend, friends, that you make space for this contemplative prayer to slow down, to breathe to listen, to connect to God, yourself, the present moment, and others. If you enjoyed this episode, friends, I do highly recommend as well that you go check out our Patreon page where you can help support this ministry as well as gain access to exclusive studies, episodes, blog posts, guided practices, live events, and more. You can find the link to that below in the description. So friends, until next time, May you experience the joy that God has for you. Grace and peace be with you.